0: Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van Ness, and every week I sit down for a glorious little baby 30-minute conversation with a a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious. This week, I'm curious about medical marijuana, so I'm joined by Jeff Chen, head of UCLA's new cannabis research initiative. Welcome to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. This week, very gorgeous episode. I'm very excited. Uh, Welcome, Dr. Jeff Chen, who... I was going to say his title, but I'm too disarmed by his stunning smile. Honey, are you on Instagram? Do you post lots of pictures? Because you are about to blow up if you don't. If you already. what is your Instagram? Where is uh, it?
1: It is at J E F E C H E. Do you post lots of pics? Um, sometimes. Oh yeah. my god! So, but you're <laughs> but you're the
0: director of the cannabis initiative at UCLA. That is correct. I. Well, I guess your smile wasn't that disarming. I'm nailing it. <laughs> um, okay, so, but you're a doctor. What does this mean? You were minding your own business. You, how did you become to become a doctor? Well, what are you a doctor of? Sure. Yeah. So uh, I'm a I'm a medical doctor. Like you could cut me open. Uh,
1: very no, you're an poorly. internist. I'm, I'm not a surgeon
0: because you're yeah. an internist. Uh,
1: I, well, I'm actually not even a licensed physician. So are you one of the ones that are you like a weed doctor? So not even. So I'll, I'll briefly explain. Um, well, basically, I graduated from medical school and had the option to do residency and become a practicing physician, or to start one of the world's first cannabis research programs. So I chose that route. Yes. Yeah. So you were like, 20, like
0: two or something or four when that happened? Uh, this was actually, I was 29 at the time. Oh my, this was my last so was like year. a second ago. Because yeah. it takes you poor babies forever. Forever. To, to get graduate. done with school. Yeah, correct. Oh my God. Correct. A and lot of so pulling. much math. It's a lot. I cannot <laughs> yeah. handle that. Um, so, well, yeah, I, I really couldn't. So, but you are like, let me do that. And and really, and that's in California because it's UCLA. Correct. Because isn't like the CDC and like the federal government, they aren't so hip to like cannabis research.
1: Yeah, correct. It, it's, it, I'm, it's funny that I happen to pick the one area where there's massive restrictions on what type of research you can do. There's very limited funding for it. So talk about setting myself up for a challenge. Well, and I mean, I think this is like a separate
0: podcast, but I, you know, it's, I think- why it's so restricted and why there's been so little research and funding on it is because like you know the whole cotton gen and like Eli Whitney and like hemp was such a like threat to like the cotton industry in this country and then also when the federal government realized that like you know people of color were predominantly the ones like using marijuana the Nixon administration was like let's criminalize it more and make it a schedule one offense because uh, it couldn't possibly have any benefits and then that way we can just create this mass incarceration problem and just get really rich while we imprison a lot of like innocent marijuana using people
1: I, I think you touched on all the points that that historians talk about as to why cannabis has, has been illegal. That's exactly it. Which is
0: so random when you think about like how money-hungry Republicans are, because when you think about all those gorgeous taxes that you could get from... Because wasn't Colorado the most in-debt state pre-their cannabis legalization, but now aren't they just like raking in the dough, or is that not true? I,
1: I don't know about where their taxes were before or after, but they've certainly had a massive windfall, hundreds of millions of dollars a year out of nowhere that they can now plug into there. They've been funding a lot of schools, I think, is one area that they're putting a lot of money towards. It, which we love.
0: But so anyway, so you definitely chose like the hardest version of research for you to for yourself
1: to go into but you were like i want to and, and why so when i was a so i was a medical student at ucla i'd grown up and lived in california my whole life i knew nothing about cannabis I thought, med- which is surprising, very surprising, right? Again, I'd lived in Alabama my whole life.
0: Were well, your parents like, don't smoke weed? Go to med school, correct? Like yeah. you're so
1: gorgeous and muscular, <laughs> like don't ruin your body with all don't this marijuana. Throw it away. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so I'm in, I'm in medical school. Never once thought about cannabis. I was actually headed to. I wanted to be a, a neurosurgeon. The brain fascinated me, and I was on my pediatrics rotation. And one of my patients ha- had seizures, and the, her parents were actually giving her something called CBD. Now, four years ago, no one really knew what this was. I didn't know what this was. Nobody at UCLA knew what this was. And it really hit home for me when our treatment team was debating whether or not we call child protective services on this family that was giving marijuana to their young child. And we saw that it was working. Actually, and that's what started my journey and piqued my curiosity as to this whole thing and so what I did was I realized just practicing as a physician wasn't enough to really push the ball forward so as I finished up medical school, I also earned my master's in Business administration from UCLA and so I think I could build one of the world's first research centers on the subject.
0: Okay, love that because you well because I, we, I had to, um this really fascinating um, brain researcher who like because yeah because like if you're gonna do like a lab and a research thing you got to do like y- you have to know how to do more than like yeah you have to do both is what you're
1: saying yeah actually running a lab is like running a business so if a lot of these faculty at these schools they're they're running a business they're they're running teams and you got to get like budgets. grants and do this yeah totally it, it's a lot yeah so but basically your interaction with that patient in med
0: school is kind of what triggered you to be like okay I really this is like my passion it's my calling I want to investigate more about.
1: That's exactly it. I picked, you know, what's one area that I, as someone who was relatively young and experienced, could really dig into and make an impact. And it was just so fascinating to me, the more that I read that it wasn't just about even THC or CBD. There's a 120 other cannabinoids in the plant that have never been explored. Really? So in a marijuana plant, there's 120 cannabinoids. So is THC a cannabinoid then? Oh, sorry. Correct. Yeah. So the, the cannabis plant produces cannabinoids. Our bodies produce cannabinoids too.
0: Oh, just naturally, yeah, but not exactly. so much.
1: Uh, well, it's it's a slightly different compound, but cannabis mimics our naturally produced cannabinoids. That's why we react to cannabis.
0: Oh, yeah, because my I just my I, my shit's got tons of cannabinoids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I just got them everywhere, pouring out. Um, so okay, wait, so so. Does every marijuana plant make all those different cannabinoids or like do indicas do some and
1: sativas do others and then hybrid? Is that how that works? You know, I think all these cannabis plants are just like breeds of dog. Some some have certain traits, certain they physical appearances, certain chemical compounds within them, and they, they really just differ. But do, but but not everyone has like 120 different cannabinoids. Correct, right? This is the total amount that we've identified across the years
0: across all G- got it. plants. Um, okay, that's really interesting. I had no idea that there were so
1: many. And we only a few of them. I could probably count on one hand the amount of cannabinoids that have ever been put in an animal or a human. Out of that 120.
0: Oh, like in a test sort of situation. Correct.
1: Yeah. So we have no idea what they do, but from what we've seen for. THC CBD they do some pretty incredible things
0: in in uh, terms of epilepsy I've heard is one area because like seizures and they can help like calm seizure correct right I think I already kind of know this but I want to ask anyway different CBD is basically the non-psychoactive one of the non-psychoactive things in
1: a a cannabinoid correct yeah so you know or in cannabis I mean correct yeah so easy easy dichotomy THC gets you high CBD not psychoactive THC is responsible for the addictive quality of cannabis. CBD, as far as we can tell, doesn't have any addictive properties. In fact, we're now starting to do research into the anti-addictive properties of CBD, its ability to reduce cravings for other drugs that are addictive. Could you use CBD to treat a THC dependence? we th- that there's certainly that curiosity and in fact there's some studies that have shown when you give CBD and THC at the same time the CBD is actually uh, curbing some of the side effects of the THC the anxiety the paranoia cognitive changes oh mm, mommy needs to do
0: more CBD apparently <laughs> um that's kind of fun so um i think another thing that people would need to understand is well wait so what, is there anything else of the five that people have been put into? Like, what are the other – is there any other, like, three-letter, like, initials for other ones that we know about that are cute?
1: Yeah. So so there's a THCV, which is – there's been some studies in humans that it can actually curb appetite and actually improve, improve uh, blood sugar in folks who are diabetic. Is that insane?
0: Some NCB or excuse me THCV. That's just like in some of the plants.
1: It's it's present in very low quantities in most types of cannabis. So what happened was ever since the black market, ever since cannabis became prohibited around the world, you had people who were breeding it for the most cash value, and that was how much THC content can you pack in here. They didn't even really know or care about these other cannabinoids, even something like CBD. And so what's happened over the last half century of prohibition is that you have THC levels spiking through the roof and you're basically crashing the levels of all the other cannabinoids. Does that affect the long-term
0: health of being able to like find what those cannabinoids are in the plant if they're all bred to be? So like, will you ever be able
1: to find the old ones that didn't have such high ones? Dude, Jonathan, that's such a good point. So what people are doing now is they're actually going around the world, foraging through jungles, looking for old strains of cannabis that haven't been human bred to try and understand what was the cannabis that humans Used for thousands of years, and how could we find rare strains of cannabis that still produce many of these other cannabinoids? Um, And another
0: reason why such high amounts of t or of THC, and not really understanding and and you know breeding the plants to be so packed with THCs, like I think that's kind. I've read that that has been. There's some thought that, like, that is linked to the higher rates of, like, schizophrenia in and, and, and marijuana users and some of the other, like, health things because it just is, like, so much more uh, amounts of, like, the of that psychoactive drug and, and then what it used to be.
1: That's exactly it. Yeah. So, again, the cannabis that humans used for thousands of years compared to the cannabis today, the cannabis today has – you know, five times, sometimes 10 times as much THC content packed in it. So it's everything from uh, the addictive quality of it to, yes, things like schizophrenia and psychotic disorders.
0: And they can also, and also, I think I've read things that like tea or a lot of marijuana use can like, you may not have developed schizophrenia or or whatever you and this isn't true of like all mental diseases, obviously, but it can just trigger certain, it can like trigger things or bring them up to the surface, like from like long series of using them.
1: That's exactly it. So it's, it's the, the, we're most worried about people who have a family history or genetic risk for schizophrenia and then using cannabis, particularly, particularly heavy use of cannabis early in life will increase the odds that they actually develop the disease, which is a chronic debilitating lifelong disease,
0: right? Which is not one that you would, you know, want to go out of, go out of your way to, to get if you could prevent it. So Correct. good to know moving forward. I think another thing that, you know, um, I think that you just, one would need to know about this is like, well, why have we only tested five things? Well, like, so in the 13th by Ava DuVernay on, on Netflix, she I, I believe they talk about how— kind of how marijuana happened and how the nixon administration like um you know made that a felony a schedule one offense along with crack and basically in order to be considered a felony one substance or a schedule one substance it needs to have like zero medical benefit ever in any world like that's like what the that's like what they use as like a parameter which is so obviously clearly false And, and marijuana does obviously have health benefits and I mean, in so many other countries where they have not had such intense prohibition, like one study comes to mind in Finland where like they used marijuana successfully against placebo to get like so many meth addicts off meth, like hmm. there. It was like like they took like like placebo. With, there was like placebo, and there was like marijuana. But like when they use like marijuana and harm reduction, like so many of the people that were on uppers like were able to like get off of them because the marijuana could like soften the intense withdrawal of like the taking the upper away. So it, it,
1: I mean, yeah. So there is. I think there's a renewed line of interest right now related to cannabis and other addictive substances. Probably more so. Definitely, there's there's some interest on the meth side, probably, but there's not too much evidence there. There's a handful of studies, I think, where opioids, more, though. Yeah, that's exactly. And actually, the funny thing is, if you go back and look at the U.S. Pharmacopoeia from about 1850 to about 1930, cannabis was listed as a medicine in the U.S. Pharmacopoeia. One of the uses of it was opium addiction. Uh, they, I guess, they noticed anecdotally that people whether whether it helped with withdrawal whether it helped with cravings whatnot so so you know we noticed this back in the day wrote about it and now we're really trying to do the science to prove is this real or is this just placebo and, and again our nation's in the midst of the worst opioid epidemic in our history it's time that we actually study this you yeah, just
0: read like tw- it's like last year 23,000 people died from overdose opioid overdose in the country and so much of that is from like the black market of like fentanyl that comes from like China and all, and all these like other places um so how do you, what are you seeing? Like, you're kind of, like, in the front lines of this. Like, you're seeing, like, how marijuana is, like, affected, like, from a, you know, financial and government place. But then you're also, like, literally, like, what's, like, tell us stuff. Like, what's more? <laughs> I, I can't even, I'm feeling so, you know, um, attacked from the news lately. I can't even, like, pick apart in my brain what, I can't even decipher what is the most important question I should ask you. Wait, has it been 15 minutes? It has? Oh, my God. I, my literal internal clock could be it. We'll be right back with more, getting curious. just two point five seconds. You know just pull over your car, find ah uh, gorgeous Instagram. Um, so you can just like put a name to the face that I'm dealing with interviewing for the next twenty minutes. you guys you you have no idea how hard it is to to interview such a gorgeous person. <laughs> I, 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 it's uh, it, who knew? Honey, take a moment and just think to yourself. Describe yourself in one word. Are you simple, sophisticated, or adventurous? However you dress, the stylist at Stitch Fix can help you find your favorite piece. Stitch Fix is an online personal styling service that delivers your favorite clothing, shoes, and accessories directly to you. First, you complete a style profile. Then an expert personal stylist will send you a hand-picked box of items based on your preferences. They even have men's and kids boxes too, which we love, honey. Let's get everyone, uh, you know, taken care of. Plus, I'm sure you can mix and match if they aren't, you know, in the dark ages. What if you want something from both? With no subscription required, you can pick between automatic shipments or only getting new pieces on demand. Shipping, exchanges, and returns are always free. Plus, the $20 styling fee is automatically applied towards anything you keep from your box. We love our Stitch Fix personal stylists. I can customize my own gorgeous preferences, whether it's sizing, brand, or budget. Once you finish the style quiz and set up your ideal number of deliveries, honey, you'll receive everything from jewelry to shoes to bags, all to go with your hand-picked outfits. I love that. Get started today at stitchfix.com slash JVN and get an extra 25% off when you keep everything in your box. That's S T I T C H fix.com slash JVN for an extra 25% off when you keep everything in your box. Support for today's show comes from Rakuten. Rakuten is a free member based loyalty program that lets you earn up to 40% cash back at over 2,500 stores. It's perfect for all your back to school shopping needs. Get cash back on everything from school supplies to new clothes at some of your favorite retailers like Macy's, Forever 21, Walmart, and more. And don't worry, it's always free. No gimmicks, no points to redeem. Better yet, Rakuten is so simple and easy to use. Simply go to Rakuten.com, click on the retailer you're looking for to activate the cash back, and then shop as normal. You'll earn a percentage of every purchase you make up to 40% cash back. Then, every three months, members will be paid in the form of a check or via PayPal. Sign up today at Rakuten.com. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N.com. If there is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals, BetterHelp Online Counseling can help. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in issues such as depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBTQ matters, grief, self-esteem, and more. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment, and get help at your own time and at your own pace. Anything you share is confidential, and it's so convenient. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions as well as chat and text with your therapist. If for some reason you are not happy with your counselor, though, you can request a new one at any time and for no additional charge. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option. Getting curious with Jonathan Van Ness Listers can get 10% off your first month with the discount code JVN. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com JVN. Then simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with the counselor you'll love. That's betterhelp.com slash JVN. You can hear ad-free new episodes of Getting Curious, plus two weekly bonus episodes only on Stitcher Premium. For a free month of Stitcher Premium, go to stitcherpremium.com slash JVN and use promo code JVN. Welcome back to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van We have doctor extraordinaire, gorgeous Jeff Chen. And so what I was just saying between policy and then like what you're actually doing on a day-to-day basis, I think as the person who is the host of this podcast, I think it is probably my job to decipher like what question I should ask you. So we'll start with, so we'll start with day-to-day with, with your passion project when you were in med school. Cause I know that from your work, you didn't, You kind of found like one of the first like CBD derived things that became like an actual medicine, right? Or am I hallucinating that I read that?
1: Actually, so what, not me personally, but so right now our program actually has over 35 faculty, UCLA faculty spanning 15 different departments, six different schools. It's
0: incredible. Okay, wait, let me unpack that. Cause you got really excited, but then I like got
1: distracted. Sure, tell me again. So yeah, it's it's over th- over thirty different faculty across fifteen different departments and six different schools, and it goes exactly what you just said. It's the the scope of cannabis is so expansive. There's business elements, there's policy elements, oh. there's science. So we're really interdisciplinary. And it's, is there someone in the law school? Yeah, exactly. Law, public affairs, public health, the business school. And it's very rare that you have so many different parts of campus engaged on this issue and trying to collaborate and work together. It's pretty fascinating. I often joke that this is probably the perfect example of how cannabis brings people together. Um, and so, you know, in terms of the study that you're referring to, actually, one of our faculty members, Dr. Sean Hussein, he did some of the first uh, clinical trials that led to CBD being approved for pediatric epilepsy. Which is so,
0: because really CBD kind of like, I got distracted again, but yay, love that. Snaps for UCLA, uh, Cannabis Research Initiative. But CBD kind of just makes you feel like, it's almost like a Painkiller with no side effects, kind of? It's like an Advil or like a stronger than Advil, but like you don't get constipated or anything the next
1: day, and like you don't want any more of it, kind of? Is that fair? So, you know, I think we're trying to figure out more as to how CBD can be used for pain. There's a lot of animal studies, not a ton of human studies yet. But what you're talking about in terms of the side effects of CBD, that's certainly true. So, anything like uh, even Advil, if you take too much Advil, you'll bleed through your stomach. Yeah. Uh, And actually, it kills. It's actually a a pretty leading cause of death in in the elderly who are taking it every day for arthritis. kills thousands of Americans a year. Really? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Or even something like Tylenol, which can knock out your liver. Or opioids, right? Side effects range from constipation to addiction, overdose, all these things. CBD, as far as we can tell, it is very safe. The main risk of CBD is probably how it might interact with other drugs you're taking. Right. It might be able to boost levels of other drugs that you're taking when then those drugs might have side effects that's the main thing to talk to your doctor about and be aware of smoking versus eating like what are what's like
0: liver processes one lungs processes the other like i sometimes i feel like i cough up bong water like it can't be good for me right like Smoking, so I mean, because it's like obviously, like you're still like lighting something on fire and putting it down, on like sure. your pink velvety
1: soft like alveoli or whatever. Sure, yeah, alveoli. There you go. Good job, man. Uh, so here's the interesting thing. So this was also done by one of my colleagues at UCLA. Oh my god, are you
0: about to tell me it's not so bad for me?
1: Well, it, it, uh, as far as uh, we can tell. Uh huh. So this was a study done by my colleague Donald Tashkin at UCLA. We tra- We looked at people who smoked. Heavily? Hella weed. Tons of weed. Tons of weed. Tons of weed. Like just morning, noon, and night. Just
0: heavy daily users. even in the users. bunk. Even, when you get, even <laughs> like when you get that cough, but you just keep smoking through it. Just they got the
1: chronic and uh-huh. they just keep going. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. I get it. I get and it. I don't know anyone like that, but I get what you're saying. Right.
1: Uh-huh. And what we find, what they found was that even in people who, if, if they only smoke cannabis, no tobacco, they, we didn't actually find an increased risk of lung cancer or serious lung disease. After how long? This is years. Years of daily use. What if you smoked a pack a day for five years
0: from the time you were like 15 to 20, but then you literally quit when you were 20 and then you like never really smoked again and now you're 31.
1: <laughs> well, but you smoke Halloween weed. That, that's a separate category. No! Uh, <laughs> <I don't, laughs> it was just five
0: years. I didn't mean to. <laughs> but don't you think it's like good that I quit smoking six now? I think it's great. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sigs no bueno.
0: I hope those don't come back to bite me in the fucking ass. I was just a baby, and I was in the Midwest. I was so stressed out. I was so gay in such a little town. Like, what was I supposed to do? Plus, like, driving around to gas stations until you didn't get carded is what spent— Like, that was what took up, like, most of my time. <laughs> and I needed something to do.
1: Sure. You know? I think you're okay. I mean, the 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 younger the body is, too, the more ability we have to heal yes. when we have insults. Like.
0: Yes. It, yeah, and, oh, God, so insulting. I get it. <laughs> so— um, but basically, so that's cuter. So smoking marijuana is kind of maybe a little bit cuter on your lungs than maybe.
1: if I Right. So the data shows that if you had to pick between smoking tobacco every day and smoking cannabis, as far as we can tell, the cannabis is safer. Is it harmless? I don't. Think no, because like do I yeah. feel like she gives me like upper respiratory. So that's exactly so. The one thing I I, I was going to say is that we did find that people that smoke cannabis have an increased risk of bronchitis. Yeah, because I got a bitching case of bronchitis yeah. right now. Like I just am hacking up a lung. Yeah, so you got the chronic cough there. She's got the chronic cough, <laughs> and it's very irritating. Correct, and and so again, we don't advise anybody smoke cannabis. There's uh, that's why for some folks, especially older folks, edibles are very appealing. Yeah, eat her. But that doesn't feel the same, which and, is my issue. And that's exactly, it. and that's because when you ingest edibles, your liver is actually transforming the THC into 11-hydroxy THC, which produces a different type of psychoactivity.
0: Which I don't. I'm not mad at it, but I don't. It doesn't. I don't. I don't. I don't. I'm not just like, <sighs> like I feel so much. You know, just
1: like when you smoke it, you're just like, <sighs> like you know, it just doesn't make you so mad. And and that's I think the difficulty for scientists is what is the best way to ingest cannabis is it is it va- inhaling it whether as a as a vapor or all the way to maybe uh one day an inhaler that has some, ooh you know, that'd
0: be fine.
1: cannabis you know preparation in there what
0: about uh mm- well, it's a safe space. Uh, mo- I'm. Can I? Can, sure. Well, I mean, I've done a wine. I just, pointed, I, mean, yeah, I just pointed to my butt. Your butt, butt. Like yeah. you could, But I was thinking, like, <laughs> wouldn't that be cute if there was like some psoriasis esque medication where you could just like shoot it in your butt, like a like a shot of it, and it could keep you oh. just a little bit high for like three months.
1: So that's that's interesting. I mean, peop- This again. This like is a never- long. You know, delivering... Yeah, so this has never been studied in official studies, but I know that these products are out there. Transdermal patches, and they, they slowly release cannabinoids your But you have to put it your under blood. your skin? No, no you put it, 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 It's like a oh, it's like nicotine a patch. patch. Oh. People often say cannabis is not a- addicting, or maybe it's psychologically addicting, but not physically addicting. I'm here to debunk that myth. Cannabis, no, I'm
0: addicted as fuck. Yeah,
1: cannabis is addictive. I'm
0: addicted to <laughs> cannabis. I mean, I, I hope that that doesn't prevent me from getting, like, health insurance someday or something. But yeah, mommy... Well, but but you know what else it is? Well, maybe I am addicted, but I also just feel more, like, dependent. Is there a difference?
1: There is, yeah. So there's—
0: Because I can live without it. I just might be a little grumpy. I'm going to be a little cranky. Like, I might not be, like, that ever-positive beam of energy that you're used to. I might be a
1: little—you know, might be grinding my gears a little bit. Totally, and that's where, like, the world of— substance abuse and addiction research is now coming is that there's this is a spectrum there's there's substance use there's substance abuse you can be dependent on something you can have an addiction you can be abusing it it's a, it's the whole
0: because i feel like my life is going to a gorge i don't feel like my shit's unmanageable
1: yeah and so there's there's substance use and then there's substance abuse and when, when we're worried about abuse is when it's interfering with your life is it interfering with work school family for a vast majority of people that use cannabis it doesn't actually pose a problem to them. But what we're really worried about is that small fraction of people who do have a problem. Imagine you try to tell your friends, hey, man, I think I'm addicted to cannabis and it's causing problems. And they go, that's not true. You can't get addicted to cannabis. And they dismiss it. That can be very troublesome for someone who's trying to get help. Yes,
0: 100%. And obviously, yes, because if someone's like, because I also think that there is, and I've seen this in my life, like people will kind of dismiss your issues of like feeling dependence on marijuana. However... I think that a lot of the times when you do have, you know, problems that are created from your cannabis use, it's from institutionally racist policies that are creating those problems that, like, aren't really fair in the first place, you know? Th- that's that's, like, a,
1: that, that's a fair point. Because, so. like,
0: one time when I lived in Minnesota when I was, like, 22, I, or no, not even, I was, like, 19, I was in hair school, I was, like, minding my own business, I smoked a joint in my apartment, I put it out, it was, like, midnight, I fell asleep on my couch with, like, SNL on, and, like like, armed policemen, like pounded down my door and I made the mistake of like opening it for them. But I mean they literally like came in my apartment, searched my apartment with no warrant. There was the joint was on the ashtray and like in plain sight. So they because I opened the door, they came in like and thank God Thank God I had like three backup joints. Like, I don't even know why the Holy Spirit like told me to always keep three backup joints under my, ba- under my mattress, but they didn't find those. And they ended up not even writing me a ticket, nothing. I think they mm-hmm. probably just took my sack of weed and went outside and smoked it. <laughs> but I, I mean, I really do think that, but it, it's, it's crazy how like, you know, you could have all of a sudden a
1: problem from your cannabis use when you really just live in a place that's like. That, that's a fa- that's a fair point. I think what we need to do then is substratify further. Is your problem related to that you you know you're not doing well in school cuz your, your your grades are horrible cuz you're smoking cannabis all the time or is it a problem that like you said you got arrested you were minding your own business but you were caught for possession and then that's causing you all these legal issues that But are... why
0: should I have to quit just because of my fucking neighbor? No, girl, just move to California. You know what I mean? Just like go somewhere where like are they're like not on... Yeah, just like move somewhere where they're not on some fuck shit. It's fucking Jeff Sessions fuck shit. I hate him. He's so hideous.
1: <sighs> so I'm good looking, he's hideous? Yes. Cool. Yeah. Well,
0: I mean, even as a heterosexual, I'm sure you can tell how you would be gorgeous and he would be hideous. Like, because your eyes work, you know, and he's very, you know, I mean, I have sorted through my fair share of daddy issues. And there's nothing about Jeff Sessions that makes me want to get into his nook, you know, like this is the nook. And there's nothing about his nook that feels like it's a place where I want to be, you know, that's just me. Um. So but back to to. THC and stuff. So, one cute area where I feel like regulation could come down that could make more research come up is like, Gorgeous Canada, Justin Trudeau, he came through, Sethi Frika, they also just legalized like a, I think you can like grow a certain amount and it's like not, and then like, Uruguay, I think.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, this is a global phenomenon. So, yeah, Canada became the first kind of d- d- developed world to completely legalize cannabis. But even medical cannabis, you have countries in Latin America, Africa, Asia, they're starting to legalize it. In Germany, medical cannabis is now legal and they're starting to gear up domestic production and insurance is mandated to pay for it. Ooh,
0: love Angola. Get it together, Germany. See, I think
1: the global kind of
0: trend towards uh, legalizing will kind of like help the cause.
1: I, yeah, and I think Canada legalizing up north is also going to accelerate things here. Um, one area already where there is some outcry was that uh, Canadian companies started importing cannabis to be used in u.s research studies and certain legislators were speaking out saying why are we having their cannabis used in our research why aren't we producing our own uh, to be used in research but aren't weren't they gonna like but there's also some stuff i feel like at the
0: federal level and then in america where when they legalize it they're like well we're gonna put you on our like lists for don't do business with them because they're fucking with a schedule one
1: yeah so are a bunch of, canadians who got apparently i think they got banned for life because they were crossing the border and when asked about their business they're saying i'm coming to the u.s to invest in companies and so the, the way the u.s sees it is the same way a uh, narco coming over the border yeah. to and to operate in the domestic meth industry in the u.s right. in, the, in the eyes of the law
0: which is like another important thing to think about going into the midterms and who you vote for and advocate for <laughs> <laughs> you're listening to getting curious and we'll be back with more after this quick little ad in other countries where they have been allowed to test, what are some of the inroads that other people have made or that we've come to know about some of these other things sure. that are cute or interesting that you've seen on the, on the front lines
1: that you think could be interesting or where cannabis use could go medically? Totally. And so I think what, it, what we're seeing in, in some other places that, that have been doing this research a little longer than we have in the States is that different strains, when you create extracts out of them, even though, let's say I have five strains, they, all five of them have the same amount of THC. And you apply them to – in this one particular case I'm thinking about is cancer cell lines. You apply them to cancer cell lines and you find that the five strains, even though they all have the same amount of THC, dramatically – have dramatic differences in how they inhibit the growth of those cancer cells. Hmm. And so that's where all of these other accessory cannabinoids are coming in and probably playing a role.
0: How do you see that in a Petri dish? Like you have cancer cells in a Petri dish and then you just like inject like some THC in it and you look at it in a microscope after like a month and you're
1: like, Oh, you count the, you basically assess the the volume of
0: the the cancer growth. But how do you know that that is how it happens in the body the same
1: as it happens in a Petri dish? And that's exactly it is. And that's the other big caveat is when people go, you know, I cringe every time I hear someone say, I'm thinking of stopping chemo because I want to use cannabis to treat the cancer. I read, you know, what happens in a Petri dish stays in a, petri dish right Right. it it doesn't it's It's more of
0: use it it's like use it as like a supplement not like instead of is that
1: well it's the what's the petri dish gives us a signal based on that we do animal studies if the signal looks good then we go to human studies but every step along the way stuff fails stuff fails all the time when you go from petri dish to animal and then from animal to human so until there's better research i highly caution people that you know be aware that this is all a shot in the dark
0: yeah it's like supplemental She's like just to help, or like it's like if you're going to use cannabis like in your current cancer treatments, like do it for like your nausea and stuff, like not because it's going to cure your cancer, or it's like not there yet.
1: Correct, yeah. Do not like do not use this thinking it's going to treat your cancer itself. If mm-hmm. if there's you know if if, in, if you're in a medical state that that has it for other uses, and then have a conversation with your physician about that, but don't be dissuaded. And and the real problem at the end of the day, right now that I face is the the, the funding barriers are significant, and so the federal government will fund cannabis research, but they'll only fund research into the harms. And it's been that way for the last 50 mm. years, like over $100 million a year. Pharmaceutical companies are funding related research, but they're funding research into specific, synthetic, pure cannabinoids and that they own intellectual property around. And at the end of the day, what we're left with is we're trying to understand how does the plant, how does the cannabis plant...
0: Because these synthetic, or the, those synthetic things that the companies make like, aren't going to have the same effects that like, the literal plant would.
1: Correct, right. And because the plant has all these various compounds in it. And so it's really now going out to the, the, the philanthropic community and private donors that might be interested in supporting this work. And so that's where the bottleneck right now is the funding. And the other interesting thing about studying the plant There's two really interesting things in my mind. Number one, if you show that it works, you've just demonstrated a democratized generic medicine, which I think is fundamentally interesting, right? The plant is naturally occurring. You can't patent it. You can't own that. And number two, if you show that the plant with all of its compounds works better than single pure compounds, you've actually just totally upended the entire Western medicine single molecule paradigm mm. and i think then people are going to start thinking well oh my gosh what other botanical extracts are there that work better than our current pure drugs What like what's an example uh, i mean cannabis is an example you know but other than that like what's
0: like a plant where we've used like one piece of it to treat something but like we didn't think like do we use like a papaya enzyme for something but like if you uh, use like the whole papaya plant to treat like er-
1: that, that's a great, and you know, and, and actually, the problem is there's it's very there's very few studies that actually directly compare because what they do is they take the extract and they very quickly try to hone in on what one molecule in there might be causing the effect, and then they just run with that one molecule. They don't really care about the extract anymore. From from your just
0: going back to the funding piece, from your experience and time spent in this industry, what is the fear? Like, is it people just wanting to, is it the pharmaceutical industry wanting to control their money and not wanting their their bottom line messed with? Because if cannabis came in as like a, you know, as like a, you know, a, a real way that you could battle opioid addiction or whatever, do they just not, or if it was a threat to their like epilepsy seizure money, like, is that what it is? Or they just don't?
1: I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of interests at play, right? There, I think there's just some folks who genuinely think that, If cannabis is why there's if there's less restrictions, kids are going to get into it. Everyone's going to become addicted and psychotic and all these things. Uh, And then you have we know for a fact that pharmaceutical companies have been lobbying against cannabis legalization and actually succeeding in certain states. In fact, there's one particular company who actually manufactures fentanyl and manufactures opioids, and they were putting lots of money towards defeating cannabis measures in states like Arizona.
0: Ew. what what was that company?
1: Uh, I insist
0: therapeutics. Hey, gross, rude. What is on the horizons of cannabis use research? What do you think?
1: You know, it's hard to guess where the future is going, but obviously we see the wave of legalization happening. My next hope is that the research barriers are going to start dropping. And part of what's going to help speed that along is if we can push Given the current confines that we have, we can get some funding in, do the studies to demonstrate that there is medical use. We think that can accelerate the, the, the dropping of those research barriers. Because, again, as a Schedule One drug, it's defined as having no medical use. But if you can demonstrate medical use, then we can actually provide the evidence to reschedule.
0: I just can't believe, you know, that… In this country, you know, the president can sign an executive order to, you know, separate families, but he can't with such clear evidence that marijuana does have applicable medical uses. Like, isn't that just like one executive order away from from him classifying that as a different drug, like, I or as a different schedule? I don't understand like where the holdup is.
1: I think it has to. Com- I think it's a combination of DEA and Congress that are the ones that, who decide drug scheduling. But I'm not an expert. Yeah, in, in no, I get it. Works. I just it's
0: like whose dick do I got to suck to get someone. <laughs> To get a fucking clue around here. And now I've got a man, so I can't even do it. Like, you know, all these years I didn't before I met, I I could have had time, but now I don't. We'll get it together.
1: Well, I think where, where the future lies is we really need to figure out what types of cannabis for what type of person with which disease could actually benefit them or on the flip side could cause harm. And along the way, we got to figure out what's the best way to give it to them. Do you have them smoke it? Do you have them eat it? Is it a suppository? What dosages? All these various questions. Do we do anal
0: suppositories for marijuana? There
1: are, look, there's no science on it, but those products are out there.
0: Love. I love that. I mean, I did do a wine animal once with my girlfriends and like we all had like our own, but it was fun. Different experience than normal alcohol, not so hungover, kind of more like felt it on my skin. Like it was more of like a... Fun, like on my skin, sort of vibe. If I, I can feel you guys nodding your head in agreement, if you've done a wine enema, like it's like I'm explaining it <laughs> perfectly, and but everyone else is probably really confused. Um, okay, so that's cute. I'm gonna do like a gorgeous, like, um, like a gorgeous, like you went to yoga, end of class you know, oh my God, did you want to do handstands today? But like, I didn't teach handstands or did you want to do this inversion that we didn't get to? So like, I'll give the yoga floor to you. Oh, sure. Doctor, is there anything that like the children need to know that we haven't gone over?
1: Well, I think one thing that I I definitely want to address is there's three particular priority areas that we are pushing research on. And it's because those three areas are also massive Chronic diseases that are really threatening the long-term sustainability of our country, and so that's the opioid epidemic issue, uh, issue of Alzheimer's, and the issue of cancer. And in all three of these areas, there is emerging evidence that you can use cannabis to, you know, potentially reduce opioid usage. You could the anti-tumor properties of cannabinoids that we talked about, as well as properties of cannabis and its compounds to actually potentially prevent or slow the progression of Alzheimer's. I haven't heard any of on that. Yeah. And, and and again, it's really early evidence. It's really it's just at the animal stage. But again, you're talking about, you know, we talk about an opioid epidemic. There's a dementia epidemic hitting. And by 2050, half of all senior citizens when they die will have dementia. And the most common form of dementia is Alzheimer's. So this is a massive issue that our country really is not prepared to face in the coming years.
0: And it's like, you know, when you think about, like, when you read that, like, you know, article, like, once a quarter or every other, like, or every six months or, like, you find, like, a new thing in the Amazon, like, you, like, some new plant that could, like, maybe do, like, a cute thing or, like, some new antibiotic in, like, soil or something. We only have, like, five of 120 potential, like, compounds in, in marijuana that we have. I mean, that like, we have, like, a whole Amazon in our – in this, like, little plant that, um, you know, especially when you think about Republicans – are really into, like, small government and government not swinging their dicks around in your personal goddamn fucking affairs. And when you think about how much they're swinging their dicks around in terms of, like, marijuana regulation and how much that plays into, like, our inability to treat all of the things or just investigate the things that you were just saying.
1: Something to think about. It is paradoxical, considering that yeah, you're right. Republicans are, are generally a small government, states' rights, all these issues um, that that cannabis is now kind of invoking. Um, and but you know, uh, I think there's imminent reform coming. I think you're right in that there's so many conflicts. People are wondering why we can't tax it properly, generate revenue. I think reform is is coming very soon, sooner than people. It's think. like
0: winter in Game of Thrones. <laughs> right, like we're we're arriving. <laughs> Um, okay, so I feel like those three fields of interest that you were saying are very important. I love that story. Do you? Do, I, I feel like I feel marijuana complete at the moment. Do you feel marijuana complete at the moment?
1: I think we've covered a lot of ground, yeah. I also
0: feel like we'll just have to have you back. And I would we'll, love to come back. Yeah, we'll talk more. Um yeah, you'll you'll be like our um, our resident marijuana doctor expert. Sure, I love that story.
1: Thank you so much for giving us your time. Thank you for having me, Jonathan. Thank you for the compliments. Uh,
0: anytime, I'm about to give you more. <laughs> You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Vaness. My guest this week was head of UCLA's new cannabis research initiative, Jeb Chen. You'll find links to Jess' work and socials in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at JVN. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thank you, Quinn, so much for letting us use it. We absolutely love your music. We love your work. If you enjoyed our show, subscribe in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, and don't miss future episodes. Write a little baby review, introduce a friend, tell them how to find that little link on, you know, where to listen to the podcast. It's so fun and easy and great. So big hug, and uh, we'll see you next time on Getting Curious.
2: It's Sashir and Nicole from Best, Best Friends. Friends. Our podcast has been out for a few months. If you haven't listened to it, you should. We've already asked the big questions in life. Imagine if we could lay eggs. Eat. Okay, sure. <laughs> I guess we wouldn't that be funny if you could eat from yourself? No, because that's it, when cannibalism. Not when you eat yourself. What? Hmm? Answer listener questions. Hi Nicole and Sashir. What happens if Sashir dies first? I mean, I've never thought of it. Well. I would be so sad. <laughs> oh no, Nicole! Nicole! call. <laughs> no. I'm not gonna die. Take BuzzFeed quizzes. Let's pick eight foods and we'll give you a sex position to try. Whoa, this is wild. Plus, we bring on other funny best friends to talk about their friendship. I almost wanna cry, I feel, I don't know why that really made me feel emotional about It's because <laughs> it's pure to talk about friendship. It is, friendship. It's nice. It's so nice. It's like so rare to like articulate it, but. She's always there for me, like I, I think she's just somebody who, oh. <laughs> oh, I love this, I love it so much. <laughs> oh my God. It's really sweet. Best Friends with Nicole Byer and Sashir Zameda is new every Wednesday. On Stitcher. Apple Podcasts. Spotify or wherever. You get your podcast. Listen. Oh my God. (laughs) two.